If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah 8. And while, while you're getting there, uh, as a reminder of my younger days, before I was known as father, I was known as cheerleader. Y'all knew that, right? <laughs> Some people are laughing. Uh, I've had a full ride to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville as a cheerleader. I did it. We were number two in the nation, only behind Kentucky, our dreaded rivals. But all of those things paled in comparison to game day. And on game day, those sacred and sometimes sacrilegious days, a Saturday in Knoxville, uh, we would uh, lead 100,000 plus people and some of your favorite songs here in South Carolina. Rocky Top. Uh, I know that it's a, it, it really is a, a fan favorite wherever you might go. Uh, we have counted, as I'm sure you have, if you've ever been near uh, Tennessee fans or a Tennessee game, you know, how many times do they play this thing, you know? And you're like, it's like 75 and the game hasn't started yet, you know? It's, man, what are we doing? Uh, but all that to say, uh, <laughs> a long-winded introduction for this. Uh, when I was doing uh, uh, this cheerleading gig, it was actually quite physically demanding. And uh, we were partnered up with the football team. We had our own trainers that lined up with the football team. Our workouts were the same. It would be soccer players and swimmers. Uh, they would have the, the track people partnered with the wrestlers. You know, they had these kind of unique partnerships. And the cheerleading males would be with the football players. And uh, so we would have the same trainers and things like that. And while I was cheering, I, uh, I severely severely injured my right shoulder uh, to the point that we thought that surgery was going to need to be done. Uh, I didn't think that we were going to be able to get this thing, uh, some of the stuff, the cartilage, the, the cuff, I don't know what it was, but it was, it was bad news. Couldn't really lift it up, couldn't do the stuff I needed to do right, and so we were in, we were in trouble. Uh, but uh, we had some incredible, uh, these collegiate physical trainers and, and uh, physical therapists, you know, they, they were top of the line. And they gave me a regimen that started out with a, if I recall, a green rubber band. And this rubber band I was to put on my foot like this uh, underneath it and to lift it up and I had to do the ABCs, capital A, capital B, lowercase a, lowercase b, and I had to do that some amount of times uh, every, you know, every day. And then eventually I upgraded and the physical trainer said, uh, you've done very well with the green band, it's time for the red. <laughs> and the red was a little bit tighter on the shoulder. Uh, it was a little bit more difficult to go. And so and then I would do the red thing in the same way. And then we started to use light weights. And uh, every single time I came in, week by week, we upgraded and updated what needed to be done for me to get where I needed to be. If you've ever gone through physical therapy, you know what I'm talking about. And it can start very rudimental, right? uh, rudimentary, where you're just trying to do a little bit of movement, then you upgrade, then you're flexible, and you're doing all of these different things in a fitness plan, in a physical therapy plan. Well, uh, we actually have a very similar thing that we see in the Christian life. 
where God updates not our physical therapy plan, but our spiritual therapy plan, and he does it quite often. Sometimes it's massive. And we're going to see a massive one that's a good example in our word this morning. But he also does it as a master trainer would do. And it's sometimes day by day or week by week. But I think that y'all might resonate and see that there's also some of these larger ones too. Uh, what I'm talking about is in our word this morning, we see this transition from, um, from coming back from the exile. The people were not following God, maybe is how I'll put it. That's a kind way to put it. And, and now they've changed. Their heart has been realigned towards following God. And so God updates. He moves forward their spiritual therapy plan. The main point this morning that we're going to see in verses 9 through 13 is that God changes his people's circumstances to bless and keep them eternally. It's a very important reality for the Christian to recognize that God is good, that God is Father, and that He is moving forward uh, all of our circumstances for our good, uh, even when we might translate them into our vernacular, right, and say, this is bad, whatever it is, right? Uh, that's what I thought with the band. This is bad. I can't do this. We need to go back to the green. Or, or, this is too easy. I need to do something harder. No, listen to me. Listen, I will change the circumstances from outside of you and move you forward. God changes his people's circumstances to bless and keep. Let's pray and then we'll read God's word. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the book of Zechariah. Thank you also for the accompanying books of Haggai and Malachi, for uh, this sermon series, Homecoming and Heart Checks. Lord, uh, as we have come home after COVID, Lord, we need a heart check. But uh, actually, we've always needed a heart check. And so, God, thank you. Thank you that you're always there, that Jesus is the good and great physician, and that he has a healing balm of the Holy Spirit to gift upon us. And so, God, we pray this morning that you would work uh, with a surgical precision upon our hearts and let us leave this place changed, not uh, by the words of man, but by the words of God. Lord, would you do it in Jesus' name? Amen. This is Zechariah chapter 8, starting with verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not. 
but let your hands be strong. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, this word, it remains forever. Thanks be to God. Our three points to help us to see that God changes his people's circumstances to bless and keep us. Well, we'll see it in three points. Number one, strength and safety. Number two, sowing and stowing. And then number three, salvation and sharing. I didn't want to scare you with six points, but they're all together. It's really just three, I promise. So first, we see God change his people's circumstances by transitioning his people from weakness to strength and from danger to safety. This is our first point. Strength and safety. Verses 9 and 10 of our text. It's important for us to remember that all of these changes that we see in the word today, remember strength, safety, sowing, stowing, salvation, sharing, all come from God himself. In other words, it is God doing the transitioning and the changing. God says, in other words, in verse 9, let your hands be strong. This is because the people had hands that at that time were weak. Before God had sent his prophets and therefore his word, the people, they needed a heart check because they were not following after God. They were following after their own worldly pleasures. And we saw that most evidently in the first chapter of the book of Haggai. Remember, this sermon series has spanned now two books of the Bible. Haggai, which was shorter, chapter 1 and 2. Zechariah now, that we've been in for some time. And so as we're referencing and thinking about this laying and foundation of the temple and what this means, we must remember that Haggai and Zechariah were contemporaries, peers. It would be as if Greg Slater, who's sitting in the pews next to us, right, that we were proclaiming the word at the same time, which is what we do sometimes. The same thing was happening in this time as God raised up for the people. Prophets, plural, we see two here. And if we go back to Haggai chapter 1, I'll just read one verse to show where the people's hearts were and what was happening because of that. You might remember it. It was, I mean, it's, it's sobering. I mean, it's, it's intense. This is what God says to the people. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. This is God speaking. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. They were building their own houses. They were actually making them look very, very nice. Renovations, new bathroom, new kitchen, nice countertop, but not for God, for me and for you. And this was not okay. Their hearts needed a check as they were coming home. Before the people's heart change back towards God, God's master plan, his spiritual therapy for them, in other words, was to keep his, uh, and to keep his people, was to remove from them that which was hindering them. All of that material stuff. And so you see in the prophecy, you're trying to do these things. You're growing all of these crops. You're needing water. You need all this stuff. And I'm taking it all away. God uses a strong word. I blew it all away. Right? 
It's like dust before me, and it's gone. The things that you really wanted. It was so close, and I blew it away. It's gone. But this was part of God's master spiritual therapy plan. That was then. Now we are transitioning forward. And as we see at this time, in this word, God is now moving his master spiritual therapy plan forward. He's saying that he knows their hands are weak and that their fear of danger is high. And now that they are looking to God and God alone for their salvation and their sustenance. He is not only willing and able, but actively going about the provision of strength and safety that these people need. And why do they need it? To continue to grow spiritually. What they needed then is not what they needed now. And so God updates the plan and circumstance moving forward. It is important for Christians of any generation and time. That means us, right? That's what I'm saying. Us. Y'all listen, right? It's important for us to remember that God changes our circumstances not to laugh at us or to point the finger and say, gotcha or something like that. No, it's to keep us. It's to prevent us from straying or from going into a far off place away from him to bless and to keep us. Even when we and our finite minds think, I'm not seeing it this time. The plan doesn't quite make sense to me, Lord. Could you show it to me or something like that? And we have all prayed that prayer if, if we're being honest. And it's okay to be honest. In fact, it's called of us to be honest. And so we reveal that and we see that even in the Psalms. Have you forgotten me, Lord? We see that a lot in the Psalms. And the answer of the Lord is no. No. God changes his people's circumstances to bless and to keep them. And that can be from trial into triumph or from triumph into trial. God is big enough, wise enough, and good enough to do what must be done to keep his people in perfect peace and unity, not with the world, but with him. That is what he is about as a good father keeping his children as a good shepherd keeping his flock. What we have this morning then is a transition as I mentioned from trial into triumph and that's evident in our second point. Number two, sowing and stowing verses 11 and 12. The transition is obvious and undeniable from I'm saying trial into triumph. You'll see it in verse 11 but now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days. What was it like before? He was blowing all the stuff away, right? That was what was hindering them. And so now he says, no, the circumstances are going to be changed. And what are the changes? Well, you see them in verse 12. If you follow along, I'll mention just five. Number one, when the people sow, it will be in peace rather than constant discord. Number two, when the vine grows, instead of getting nothing, they'll get fruit 
Likewise, when the crop grows, just like the vine, they will get fruit of the harvest rather than nothing. Number four, when there is need for rain, they're not going to get a drought, right? A cloudless sky. They're going to get rain. Number five, when all of this stuff happens, nobody's going to take it from them. God is going to allow it to remain with his people. They will not have that need. They will not watch it get farther away as God, to use that term in Haggai that he used, blows it away. No, they will keep it. There are undeniable and obvious changes here in verses 11 and 12. But, and these blessings, certainly they, they certainly play out in the physical realm. It's important for us to know that, that God, uh, and we mentioned this last Sunday if you were with us, he, he, along with God's people of that time, we are the ones who are neglectful of this, try to separate physical and spiritual too much. Uh, this was not as a separation in that time, and it really shouldn't be now. Uh, but, but we must be very careful as we come here to think that these blessings are only on the spiritual level. In other words, if we were only thinking uh, and, uh, that, that they got corn now and they had a lot in the harvest, uh, we would be doing a disservice to God. Because there's something more here. And it's important for us to see beyond just the material, beyond skin deep and go to the heart level, to go spiritual, as it were. Here's the question. What is really being sown and stowed? When we look at verses 11 and 12, what is really being sown? What circumstance is God really changing for his people? Could it really be just sacks of grain and rain? Is that really what he's changing only? If we follow the metaphor of verse 12, the sowing of peace, we see much more. The implication and truth, it's straightforward. That which is sown is also reaped. So God is using physical blessings to reveal a spiritual truth, for sure. You're going to sow this, you're going to reap it. But he adds on this sowing of peace, this, this metaphor that transitions us and forces us from our worldly beings into our spiritual ones, where we think, God, what is it that you have for us here? Because far beyond full bellies and warm hearts is the desperate need for God's people. And we need a peace with God. And that only comes from outside of us because all we bring to the puzzle is broken pieces that don't fit. And we think, Lord, how can we truly sow in peace? What is this? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 12. For there shall be a sowing of peace. It's undeniable to see the reality that God himself is, is pushing forward a peace, a shalom, a spiritual blessing that is far beyond what the people have felt uh, well before the 70 years of exile. God has been working his spiritual therapy plan for that long to get his people to the point where they could begin to see fully and really and truly that which previous generations had known and felt and grasped. 
which was that God himself is going to bestow peace upon these people. God is. It's not a stretch to say that the people of God in this generation, that is the one in the text, right? The ones I have been saying needed a heart check. That they have had profound heart change by God. And that is where peace with God is exhibited. It's what the church of every generation strives for. A proclamation of the word. I think I've said this before, but as I prayed through and thought about it, I wondered. Have you ever wondered why I preach the gospel every Sunday morning? It cannot be denied, right? That the gospel of the Lord Jesus is expounded from the word. Well, the first reason is that it's there. Jesus tells us that in Luke 24. But why do it? Is it to perhaps the unbeliever in the room? Maybe one who has been confessing with the lips that Jesus is Lord has not had a heart change. And so I, in my great wisdom, am proclaiming a word to them. Maybe. That's a nice benefit. But that's not the reason that I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus on Sunday morning. I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus to believers in the Lord Jesus because that is where we find our hope. That is where we are renewed. That is where we find our life and that is where we find our peace with God. It's the greatest thing to be reminded of and to see over and over and over from God's word. Whether we're in the gospel of Luke, whether we're marching through the life of Peter, whether we're going through the epistles of Peter or Philippians or we're in Genesis or Ezra or here we see over and over that which God wants us to see which is the good news of Jesus Christ because there life is found and in that life is peace and contentment and joy and y'all should know what's coming next what is the gospel of the Lord Jesus we should all be able to speak it I say it every Sunday the gospel of the Lord Jesus is that Jesus being fully God, took on humanity. He put on sin, uh, uh, the likes of sinful flesh rather, to, to be a human. And he let go of his divinity, though he didn't stop being God. He humbled himself to be even a baby, needing to be held by his mother. This is God we're talking about. And this Jesus lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He died a sacrificial death for us who couldn't sacrifice for ourselves to get what we needed. And as he took the wrath of God for you and for me, he gave us the gift of righteousness. And with that gift comes peace, comes blessing, comes joy, comes contentment, comes hope, comes everlasting life comes all of the things that God has promised to give. It is through Jesus. It is through the gospel. And what does God say? God says there will be a sowing of peace now. You have seen what I will do for you. You have seen what you can't do for yourself. Now, in this room, we might not be transitioning from unbelief to belief. And 
in, in the case of many of the people of God that Zechariah was proclaiming to, the same would have been true. He wasn't standing on the street corner evangelizing those who had never heard of God. This is the house of Judah. This is the house of Israel. This is where the truths of God are housed. This is the remnant, the ones that God brought back. These are the people of God. And Zechariah preached the gospel to them. But he was only preaching the words that God gave him. In other words, God preached the gospel to them. Those who believed that they might be renewed and that they might see that heart change come into being and that as that heart change was renewed that they might see the blessings that come alongside of that. Uh, uh, not to, uh, we won't branch far because we need to keep going. Uh, the fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother. What a great one for Father's Day, right? There's a promise with it that it might go well with you in the land. Think on that today, that it might go well with you in the land. Thirdly, though, our text leads us to an important third point. God's gift of salvation, the gospel, the good news, it comes never in a vacuum. We are a connected people. And so we see, thirdly, salvation and sharing in verse 13. The people of God at this time had a reputation, and it wasn't good. As you, This is the first part of verse 13. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel. Uh, in other words, if you're trying to kind of nail that a byword of cursing, what, what, is it, what do you mean? Uh, here's an easy example. It, this, isn't, you know, this isn't attested, but it's a good illustration. Parents in neighboring countries, maybe they might have told their children this. You better do what's right or you'll be cursed like the house of Judah. It was kind of like that flow. A byword of cursing means, oh, yeah, you know, you don't want to do that. You might be like Judah. You might end up like Judah or Israel. Watch out. Uh, and that, that's what that byword of cursing means. They had a reputation and it wasn't good. Now, God is transitioning his people from curse to blessing, from, uh, from humility, from a forced uh, look at themselves to, to a glory, not in themselves, but looking at what God is doing. There's this, this transition, and they are surely blessed in it as we see salvation from God being given to them. And we see that built into the words in verse 13. God says it explicitly, I will save you. Fear not. Let your hands be strong. It says that twice, once in the beginning, verse 9, now at the end. A sandwich. Let your hands be strong. There's comfort. There's salvation here. Yes, but there is something accompanying salvation. God says to his people, you shall be a blessing. The question we need to ask is to whom? To whom shall you be a blessing? The answer is actually straightforward. As the people had been a byword of cursing among the nations, so now shall they be a blessing among the nations. And a good example of this goes all the way back to Genesis. Abraham and Isaac walking up a mountain. Do you remember the command that God had given Abraham? Go and sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac. And Abraham said, yes, Lord. And got up the next day. This is a father walking his son up the mountain because God had commanded something of him to go and to sacrifice him. Isaac, being the astute young man that he was, hey dad, 
we forgot the sacrifice. God will provide, my son. God will provide. Abraham went up, we know, from other parts of the word, ready to drop the knife. Ready to sacrifice his son because he knew one of two things was going to happen. One, God would provide, just like he said. Or two, God would provide, just like he said. The first one, maybe we'll find a sacrifice up there. I hope so. The second one, I will have to drop the knife, son. And yet, you are the promised one. God has told me that in you will the nations be blessed. In you will we see the furtherance of the line of the people of God to where we'll grow bigger than any could even imagine. And so, God must be able to raise people from the dead. What faith. We see that in Hebrews, by the way, if you're wondering. Hebrews chapter 11. That's God's word. What faith? God, of course, provides. He sees Abraham's faithfulness. Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18. I will surely bless you, speaking to Abraham. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Alongside the salvation of God's people comes a sharing of that blessing. It is built in for the Christian being saved by God is big enough that it will always be shared in word and in deed, in word by the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Indeed, we bring the righteousness to a world that is lacking righteousness, which allows our words then to be heard by those who have ears to hear, those whom the Holy Spirit is working in. You could call it by a lot of different things. The Abrahamic Covenant, the Great Commission, Paul Paul's missionary journeys. You see it all through uh, Revelation promises, every nation, tribe, tongue. We see all of these things all throughout Scripture. And the reality that remains is that salvation and sharing go together. They are never separated. For those who are saved will always share the good news of how they were saved. Quickly. Before we conclude, fathers, I have not forgotten about you. Will you apply this text with me this morning? And I'm not going to hold any punches. Have you fallen into the trap of trying to strengthen your own hands for yourself and your family? God says strengthen your hands. Let your hands be strong. Have you fallen into the trap that you think you can do that? Fathers. You let the world seep into who you are? Have you forgotten that it is God who transitions you from strength to weakness when needed and from weakness to strength when needed in order to bless you and allow you to be a blessing? In a world that emphasizes the material side of things to a fault, have you, O oh Father, fallen into the trap of working diligently only for your family's 
material well-being, forgetting that that is only skin deep and that God, the Heavenly Father, has told you to be one who is carrying on a spiritual therapy plan for your families. It is so easy. It's too easy. Are you prideful enough not to listen and to act like things are okay? Or will you be, as God has called you to be, one who moves forward spiritually instead of materially only? For all of us, are we in a place of enough spiritual maturity to acknowledge that whatever our current circumstance, however we got there, no matter our feelings, that it is God who changes his people's circumstances, including yours, to bless and to keep, even when we don't know why or how. Scriptures tell us that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Elsewhere we see that God is working from an eternal perspective. He's working to bless and to keep. Don't let the momentary afflictions of the day outweigh the immense weight of glory on the other side of the scales. Because God is good. And he is our heavenly father. And he is moving us forward in whatever circumstance perfectly. Even if we can't see it. That we might be blessed and that we might be kept eternally so. And that is the mark of a true and gracious and merciful and powerful God and father that we have. That is what we see here. A God who transcends and yet remains close. A God who encompasses us as his people and as followers of him to keep us and to bless us. Always be blessed today by the word. Let it convict, yes, and at the same time, let it comfort today. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how good you are. That you know all our circumstances for you are the one who, have, who has moved those forward. And so God, wherever we might find ourselves today, fathers or not, Lord, help us to have the humility and the faith and the hope to see that you are the one who is working and that you are working eternally. God, give us such a perspective. Move us from this place with that mind today. In Jesus' name, amen.